0: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Arch Conservatives podcast and the latest episode of Radio Free Athens where we've begun churning these episodes out at a rapid pace. Uh, this is the uh, now I think the second one and I think the last one we did was eight days ago. Um, we did that one with Boris and Reed and uh, Reed is back today as well as a special guest who used to be my co-host and is now an alumni of the University of Georgia and the Arch-Conservative, Sarah Montgomery. Um, so only our most dedicated followers will will uh, will recognize her. If you're new to the show, Sarah is uh, very good at these podcasts. Um, I think she can make a career out of it. Um, I don't know about Boris, though, but... Moving forward, uh, obviously the news cycle this week was absolutely ridiculous, uh, just so much was happening with, uh, the Covington Catholic schoolboys, uh, the abortion law that passed in New York, uh, Roger Stone, who was, uh, (laughs) torn from his house this morning, uh, by the FBI, and of course, uh, Venezuela, uh, for, uh, lots of protests in the streets are going on there, and the head of the National Assembly has now assumed uh, the presidency, and the U.S. has recognized him as such. But our topic today is something that Reed touched on a little bit uh, last week that we, I think, admitted to ourselves was certainly worth another podcast, and that is uh, feminism, specifically second-wave feminism, uh, or the sexual revolution, as it's been called, and... Um, But before we dive too far into that, I will stop hogging the spotlight and ask you guys how you're doing. Sarah, how have you been? It's been about a year, I think. Maybe not. About nine months since you've been on.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been well. I mean, I don't know how vested in my life people are, but I have a job and I'm working at it and it's going well.
2: well. I'd like to think so. It's been pretty good.
0: How about you, Reed?
2: I'm great. I'm just in my final semester at Georgia. Enjoying the time that I have left.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's what most of my friends are doing now. I'm not. I'm in my second to last semester, but uh, not for lack of trying. Um, so anyway, I I guess I'm thinking of a of a good starting point uh, for feminism, um, and I'm glad that the two of you are here with me so that I'm not left to mansplain this alone.
1: So I will defer... You're doing a great job so far.
0: Yeah, well, eventually I'm going to defer uh, to Reed since she introduced the topic to the the committee here. But um, I'll start with this. Last week I said something about the positives of second-wave feminism. I I made the note that it expanded uh, the sense of purpose... For women and girls uh, beyond just the home. Um, now, I'm, there's certainly lots of drawbacks to that, as we've seen, effects on the family, uh, effects on divorce, and things like that. But you disagreed with me, and you told me that even that was n- not entirely true or consistent. So, what are you? What? What's your perspective on that? I guess.
2: Well, I think that we even i and i've realized this very recently very recently have kind of been indoctrinated to think that the even conservatives have been indoctrinated to think that the feminism of the past was something nobler and and it certainly is certainly nobler than today's pro abortion radical abortion feminism, but we we've been taught to think that the suffragettes marching down the streets in the twenties and the the second wave feminists marching down the streets in their bras and protesting for for the right to go into the workforce, which is that that in itself is Certainly noble, and there are certain aspects of it that I do think are noble. Um, but we've been trained to think that this is what changed the West, and this is what transformed to society, and this is what brought about female liberation. And what uh,
0: separates us from the unliberated. Yes, un- un- yes. The, this is what
2: separated all. us from 150 years ago. But I have recently come to the conclusion that the, that is not necessarily true. Um, at least not completely. Like there's probably, you would have to point, to convince me of that argument, you would have to point out specific, specific things that the feminist movement changed. But I think that the greatest, um, the thing that had the greatest impact on liberating women throughout the West was technological change, not, not, not protests, um, it's. I think it's almost a naive way to look at the world to think that everybody, people 150 years ago, 200 years ago, everybody just wanted to keep women in the home. People didn't want women to be educated. That requires a lack of understanding of how terribly, terribly difficult life was until about until about 100 years ago, um, and how it it really wouldn't have been biologically or biologically possible or even just just possible in the sense that there's anything surrounding you like what are your opportunities so where could you
0: go so if i understand you're you're sort of making an argument about standard of living too Mm -hmm. i guess because if you were to say that technological advancements were to all of a sudden expand the sense of purpose or the sense of duty or this or the idea of work for women i would i would i would my follow-up question to that would be, well, why was it the advancements in the middle of the 20th century and not the ones that came uh, in the 19th century or the I, 17th I century? And, but but, but I, th- I think that you have a point because I think that that was the point where things started to take hold uh, in the market and life did get relatively easy. Um, and I, I think you can fairly say that. I yeah. guess um,
2: it's about technological change because it's about leisure time. Okay. And it's not. And it's not just that life got easier for women. I've, I think maybe maybe the marginal rate at which life got easier for women is is better. But life certainly got better for both men and women because you had more time to do other things. Because simple tasks such as making your own clothes, you didn't have to spend all day doing that anymore. Like the simple. The simple facts just of life. Laundry became easy. Yes, yes, exa- that was probably a very, very big thing in helping women get out of the house. Because we like, think about the '50s, and the '50s probably wasn't a very happy time for women. I think, I think the happiness rates—I don't know how they measure that—but the happiness rates for women have gone down since then. But I think that that still wouldn't have been a very happy time for a woman because there wasn't much to do in the home because mm-hmm. life had become so easy. So your sense of purpose was diminished in the in the '50s. But before then. A woman's place in the home was filled all day. There were, you didn't have leisure time. You didn't have time to go to school or learn how to learn how to learn how to read, learn how to do anything other than be a homemaker.
1: Yes, because there are quite a lot of things. And I think you you touch on an interesting point and it's sort of a, a double-ended phenomenon because you have two technological fronts, both pushing towards getting women into the workplace. On the one side, you have the domestic technology that improved that allowed women to have more leisure time in the home, required their less and less to be a homemaker and to be a constant guardian to even let women not get pregnant as easy with contraceptions getting better and birth control pill. And then from the other end, the industrial workforce side of things, you just had more jobs that women could do. Mm -hmm. I mean, women aren't construction workers now because there's a physical cost to that that a lot of women can't or don't want to take on. But when you're talking about um, the advent of computers and technology even before then that were just less physical, they had less physical requirements, women could could then work and Mm -hmm. be more efficient. And then as the workplace became more social and interpersonal skills became more highly valuable, women are just good. They're
2: very good in those fields On average. Women
0: are typically more, psych, just uh, neurologically are more interested in people
2: and than men, than men are.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and men are, would typically be interested in things.
2: Um, yes, that's very interesting. So mm-hmm. as the workplace shifted toward that.
0: Toward interpersonal relationships, like Sarah said. Very interesting. And, um, you know, there are just there are less laborers around mm-hmm. today. I think that there are certainly still people who work with their hands, but as is pointed out in the wage gap argument all the time, is women are not willing to do those jobs uh, in like you know almost unanimously they aren't you know willing to work on you know I guess oil rigs or as firefighters as you know these things are not necessarily glamorous but it certainly contributes to statistics that favor people who want who like to make the argument that there's still a long way to go. Uh, before we have well, workplace I mean, equality,
1: they don't even usually use statistics like that. Like, there's not a whole group of feminists clamoring. No,
0: they for... don't. They don't. I'm I'm saying that that's what they that's what adds to those numbers that. Yes. They don't. They yes. leave out the, yeah. the, the the They don't the get it, but, um, to them. they're not yeah,
1: clamoring no, exactly. for more women to be welders. They want more women to be high paid engineers exactly. and surgeons. Yeah.
0: And they want and <laughs> these are women who are not getting these degrees.
2: Uh, they're
0: not they're not i mean and and there's
2: they get gender studies degrees and then and then advocate for other people to other women too i mean that's what
0: gender studies is it's 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 a it's a self-eating snake it's like it it produces people who have nothing to contribute nothing real and you'll you'll hear even people on the far left like bill maher talks about this all the time you know, he a lot of his show is dedicated to why Trump won the election, and it's because Democrats ran on a fantasy platform, mm. and that's what these people and you know, as as he would put it, this is how we actually got a madman into the office of the president. That's a liberal perspective, um, but he's got a point. I mean, th- I mean that that whole area of this of the study you know whatever studies it could, there's a lot of different you know, majors, they put out this large class of, of, you know, early 20s people who cannot contribute mm-hmm. because they're not qualified to contribute. And then they rail against the fact that they're not able to contribute, you know, and, 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 and they use, and they, and I mean, contribute on a, on a national scale on and lots of industries. scale yeah, yeah. at the
1: very least, yeah. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, building off of that, when you look at the fields that women are generally attracted to nowadays, and I'm sure, Jay Thomas, you could speak from this, and so I was an advertising major, well, no, I was a marketing major, but the fields are very similar, and advertising is more and more becoming dominated by women in a lot of places, Um, and in my office, the creative side of the office, which is our copywriters, graphic designers, people like that, all male. The other side, the account services, the even the the office controllers who like they run the birthday parties and everyone's time off calendars, they're all women, mm-hmm. except for one person, who is the head of that whole section, um, which is an interesting dichotomy. And I'm sure Jay Thomas, you could speak from that similarly because you're a journalism major. If you look at the percentage of your classmates that are female, that's where it's all going because mm-hmm. those are fields that are very interpersonal, a lot of person like. Human interaction skills are very required to be good at those jobs, being detail oriented, things like that, things that women are generally more, they're, more, they're better at, not more good. Like, <laughs> I was trying to force that out, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> but women are better at those things, those interpersonal skills than men, whereas they, they might go into the engineering and the tinkering fields, mm-hmm. and biology and uh, physics and things like that.
0: Yeah. I think the point of what we're getting at is that the is that there are disparities in these fields but that is not that does not necessarily mean that these disparities are come from a place of injustice um, and I remember uh, I had a there are two instances in my entire college career where I have said something to a professor who, was spouting off a bunch of left-wing nonsense. It's happened twice. Last year it was with a photojournalism class, and it was like the last lecture of the, uh, of the semester, and she was going on about uh, inequality in the field of journalism, which made me want to laugh out loud looking around the building that we were in, mm-hmm. the Grady Journalism building, where 80% of the people there are females. And she put up this chart that was like uh, you know, if you it was it was a chart of who were who was in the field of journalism and these like, you know, big networks and big publications, you know, accounting for them, and uh, and the ages that they that they go by. So it was like male-female one axis and ages on the other, and as you got older and older it became less females and more males. She interpreted that data as Women are getting discouraged and they're quitting around age 30. And by the time the journalists are in their 40s and 50s, they're all men.
2: That cannot be. Think about <laughs> that, that cannot for a minute. Be the explanation. And, I,
0: and I raised my hand and I was like, "Well, don't you think that that could mean that these old people who are about to retire or die uh, are mostly men, and the people who are getting into the field?" No, the first thing I asked was. Is was this poll taken recently? She's like, yeah. This, excuse me, this was this year. I was like, okay. If this had been a yearly average from like 1995 to 2017, you'd have a great point. But it's it's like right now. It's like we took all the stats today, mm-hmm. and and then the rest of the thing was like, uh, yeah, well, we've got women, uh, lots of women in journalism now, but they're all covering like culture and. And home life and things like that, where men cover foreign policy and and stuff sports. like that. Yeah, well, yeah, sports. And she was like, "So what do we do about that?"
2: We don't do anything. We let them like, choose. I mean, yeah, the <laughs> desire to be.
0: I called tyrannical. her a social. I called her a social engineer. That's,
1: I mean, that's precisely what she is. The, the desire to tinker in people's social lives so that the outcomes of society are precisely the way that you think they ought to be is. Really nefarious. It sounds a
0: lot like they're trying to eminentize the damn Eschaton. I believe uh, so. <laughs> but, um, but I think that's the case in a lot more fields uh, than just journalism.
2: Well, it's like Jordan Peterson gets into trouble all the time when he talks about um, the the Nordic countries, how that is one of the countries that pushes gender equality the most through government policy, but because it's one of the most egalitarian, egalitarian countries in the world, um, at, you actually see this... Split in the career fields and the choices that There's men and women more make. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I mean, it's fascinating when you give people the option to choose, they sometimes make decisions that social engineers don't like. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem for them because at a certain point you have to either reconcile human nature or deny it. And it seems like they're currently going down the path of choosing to deny human nature. And they would never tell
0: you that they're not, um, that, that they don't believe in a meritocracy. Yes. I've seen people like Kamala Harris pressed on that you know is like, is like it see it seems like what you're talking about is not a meritocracy no 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 and you know it goes out of her way what it's
2: especially interesting because science the pur- purpose of science is not to be an engineer the purpose of science is to um, is to observe what is mm-hmm. it's just be a simple like it's a ruler mm-hmm. it's all science really is to a be
1: simple. an objective
2: finder of the truth, um, opposed to trying to,
1: I hope to I'm, manage I'm, it.
2: I'm not overstepping
1: my role here as honored guest or however special guest whoever is introduced, but I wanted to ask Rita a question because on the last podcast you mentioned that you used to be a feminist. Ah, okay, yeah. So I was, I was curious <laughs> about that because I've never been a feminist, um, or really anything remotely resembling one. So I was wondering if you could speak maybe to what your appeal was to feminism mm-hmm. and then maybe... What disillusioned you?
2: Um, it was uh, it was ignorance <laughs> that, that <laughs> induced me into it. It was in high school. Um, I went to a pretty liberal high school. Um, I had a teacher who one time told me that Jesus was a communist. Um,
0: oh, man. Bespoke.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I took a class on gender. I watched Emma Watson's speech at the UN, and that was when I decided that I was a feminist.
0: Oh, did you cry? I don't remember. You probably cried. I probably
2: cried. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Feminists uh, like to talk about how strong there they are and they cry. That? What was that hashtag? It was, it, was the,
1: it was like getting men involved in feminism, like he he for she.
2: Yes, that's what it was. The he that's for what it was. Oh, and I was just I was so into that <laughs> and well, then wow. you
1: are you were not a feminist. You were a white feminist.
2: Oh yes, and that's which, what, that's what changed my which mind. Doesn't even right? count. okay so. So
0: ask uh, Karen Agnes lips. That doesn't count.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like you can't be, you can't be a Zionist and a feminist either. We're, yeah. we're
0: talking about, uh, you know, I keep mentioning that, that, that self-eating snake. That is all that intersectionality is or ever will be. Yes. There's that, that's something... how it, that's
2: when I was confronted with that. That was how it, that was, I, I mean, I you
0: have myself. to be to, to get a little bit topical. You have to be the kind of, person that, uh, I would say Frimpong, the, the TA that was oh. exposed by, uh, Logan Lawrence <laughs> a couple weeks ago. You have to be that kind of person yes. to be safe. Like, I mean, I mean, the lo-
1: bleeding edge if you eat. look
0: at, if you look at how people like, uh, like Kamala Harris, like can you can you name a more you know left wing person than that? Well, sure you can, yeah. like Tariq Nasheed. <laughs> and, and if you look at Twitter right now, he is just absolutely dogging her because she's trying to. I mean, she he's he's actually totally right. She's being lazy and she's pandering, but she's trying to appeal to to black people, mm-hmm. to black voters. Mm-hmm. She's listening to uh, hip hop and well, I guess <laughs> black and young and young voters, you know, stuff like that. I mean, she's. Trying to act like she's not a sixty-year-old woman.
1: Right, and um, they're going to go after her specifically because she was a uh, she was a a prosecutor, and she was a very aggressive prosecutor Mm -hmm. in California. And if you think that the the um, the civil not the civil rights but the criminal the criminal reform people are not going to go after her for that, then you
0: which I which I understand. I mean, if I was if I was you know if I was black, I would. Certainly, I would probably have a different perspective about criminal justice and the history of criminal justice than somebody like mm-hmm. Kamala Harris. Mine would probably be, you know, a little bit more reformed than hers, mm-hmm. and I think she knows that, and now she's trying to act hip.
1: Yes.
0: And, uh, For I,
1: those of you listening to this podcast, she told did a to whip.
0: I didn't. <laughs> but um, anyway. We got off topic a little bit. Intersectionality is a self-eating snake.
1: It really is. Yes. And that is the general tendency of progress in general is to move forward. Um, and the direction is indiscreet. And so they, because the goal is always just forward. And so it doesn't really matter how they get there, or why they get there. And forward what direction. Toward,
2: toward what? That's always right. my question. Like where,
1: where exactly <laughs> are we heading? I don't know, but it's not the past. Whereas conservatives are much more concerned with, standing on what we know and I, a that's ground. one thing
0: that I've always made like I have a lot I, there's a reason that I'm not a registered Republican uh, it's mostly Donald Trump but there are a few other reasons one thing that I really like about the GOP is that it is not so insulting mm-hmm. <laughs> in its pandering to minorities and to young people and to women as the Democrats are like the cardi b twitter thread with chuck schumer and all those people earlier this week they were like these i mean why do you have to pretend like you're not a 73 year old white man why can't you just just embrace it just be who you are and say look this is what i'm gonna do for you not like hey would you like to would you like to skateboard with me
2: be yeah. a cute old man and admit you don't know how to work Twitter that would be yeah, fine that's
0: what Chuck Grassley did
2: yeah and it works or no you mean
0: um, Orrin Orrin oh, Hatch I'm sorry Orin yeah Hatch, I got yeah. my old white people mixed up
1: it happens to all of us yeah <laughs> uh, and you know the, the interesting thing about that is I mean obviously all politicians pander that's sort of part of their job description to a certain extent but like you see Ted Cruz who's a very intelligent man that's From Cuban descent, but when he gives speeches, he speaks as if he's very, like he puts on his cowboy boots and he gets this like, he talks really slow and he gets all Bible belty. How is it that
0: none of the Senate candidates from Texas were anything like Texans?
1: (laughs) I don't know, because when you think about Texas, it's not really either of them, but it's also sort of both of them, because Texas is an extremely metropolitan state. Yeah. Um, with a lot of regional diversity Austin is not Dallas And uh, uh, Dallas no. is not Houston And Houston is not San Antonio yeah. Those are very distinct cities Very distinct characters And the state overall Even in those very liberal hotbeds is a lot of Texan pride So you think you could pander to Texans By sort of appealing to that But instead they both went in a very strange direction <laughs> I don't, I don't really understand it, but I, I, I mean, I'm i sort of sickened by all pandering just because I don't I don't like it. I in would general. rather
0: be I would rather just be fear mongered into oblivion than have <laughs> than like Hillary Clinton dabbing on the Ellen show okay. like oh, I would rather just you know we got to build the wall or they're gonna come rape you like that's oh, what I, I would Lord. much rather like because at least I can look at that and be like I mean some people think that probably. Hillary Clinton oh, that's, dabbing. That's, who who who, who looks at her and says, "Yeah, that's genuine." That's She cool. she's she knows what She might
2: up. accidentally do it as she's like stumbling down the stairs. Even Beto's dab is was poor in form. I mean,
0: is just kind of creepy to me. I guess he's more handsome than most of the people involved in these tactics, but
1: but that didn't work for Marco Rubio. That's and and cause, that's
0: because rep- he's well.
1: I don't want to get too far off on the on the fem, from the feminist.
0: There's thing, a but. lot of similarities between Peto and Marco. Not really policy-wise, but certainly personality-wise. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, okay, so if we we can we can go back to what we were talking about earlier with feminism, and I wrote down a few of the uh, drawbacks that I do think were results of uh, the sexual revolution, and I think that the most important and most uh, Actionable of these is probably uh, the way that we have ruled on and talked about abortion. Um, so I feel like it would be gratuitous to ask, but I'll do it anyway. Reed, what did you, what were your initial reactions <laughs> to the uh, the New York bill allowing for late-term abortions and the celebrations? Truly disgusted. Followed? Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Governor Cuomo. Um, lit up the One World Trade Center in pink said that it, uh, what did he say, it celebrates oh, it lights a new path forward for the rest of the country loosely paraphrasing all I can say is, if that is the direction the rest of the country goes God have mercy on us because that is, it is it's horrific, and I can, yes. and I can the amount of normal people who I've seen my friends get into arguments with in, in the past few days that I have gotten into arguments with over this in the past few days, the amount of people, normal people you think are normal, who think this is okay, mm-hmm. is truly appalling. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people
1: who really don't understand it. And I think sort of the one and only really encouraging thing about this is the fact that they felt the need to pass the law in the first place. Because to me, what that signals is that they think that there is a possibility, a genuine possibility, that Roe v. Wade could be overturned and things will go back to state laws, mm-hmm. and they want to have mm-hmm. that on the books, which yes. is the same reason that like Ohio passes the heartbeat bill, for example. So the fact that there's more of these bills is a good sign, but obviously the bill being what it is is really horrific. Um, Jay Thomas and I were sort of going back and forth with one aspect of it that's particularly horrifying. So I mean, it's basically abortion on demand up to 24 weeks. And then after that, whenever that they want, if it's uh, the fetal, the fetus
2: is uh, not viable viable, viable. or if it's the mother's health or Life life or health. And that's the, the really interesting thing about that phrase is that every single person. So my, one of my friends posted a video about this and she got a ton of responses, some nasty responses, some like some respectful responses, People were saying that they couldn't, fi- they, they couldn't find any, uh, any article they read that it was life or health, mm-hmm. or life and health. I can't remember the exact phrasing. I think it's life, life and health, life or health. And um, she would refer them to the actual bill. Yeah. So none of the none of the ac- none of the like CNN, um, the big name, supposedly objective journalists were were putting the actual phrase from the legislation life or health whereas the conservative like national review even daily wire were posting um the quotes from the text that said life or health and so when you but with the disturbing thing about the health phrase is that circumstances under previous law circumstances mm-hmm. it was Cutoff was 24 weeks, but if it was the life of the mother, there was that exception, which I still think is absurd. But at mm-hmm. least there's that limitation. Um, but with if adding the health part of it, it's not defined. Right. Well, in I'll, in
0: will you, you you can yeah. you can explain this better than me, and I'll defer to you in a minute. But you can tell, I think, pretty easily when someone is making an argument for something that is immoral. And uh, it's, uh, this, it's this particular issue that the left unleashes every bit of menace that they have and every bit of euphemistic uh, strategy that they, have, that they can come up with. Even the term pro-choice is a euphemism. Mm -hmm. It is. This is the same argument, and I've said this in a podcast before. They use the exact same arguments and the same phrasing that people in the 1850s who were making the arguments for slavery were using. Some people in the Lost Cause movement of the Confederacy would like to tell you that the war was about states' rights. And the the very obvious follow-up question to that would be the states' right to what? The people who are the most uh, ardent proponents of abortion will tell you that it's about a woman's right to choose. Well, I think that women should be able to choose to do anything that they want. But then the obvious follow-up question would be the right to choose what? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And if what you're choosing is to murder something
2: mm-hmm.
0: or someone I think that that you've surrendered your that you've surrendered the moral high ground I mean you're you've now you've already surrendered that and now you're only talking at a legal basis and it's in it, it, another and another instance would be well if you know if you don't like abortion don't have an abortion and vote against it in your state yeah, That's I why that was Missouri Compromise. Right. We here. we divided our country, and the the states that wanted that that wanted to outlaw slavery were free states, and the slaves that wanted to permit it were called slave states. And eventually, the truth came out that that is unacceptable, mm-hmm. and we fought a war that killed six hundred thousand people that was uh, largely about that, and. You're, it's this, the same battle lines are being drawn, mm-hmm. and the Republicans are on the same side that they were back then. And I think a lot of pro life people wish that they would fight that battle a bit more fervently, mm-hmm. um, but that's what it is. And the whole thing, uh, which I, which I, I think you were about to say about, well, this bill is is it only applies with the with the you know. Late-stage abortion, it only applies if the fetus is not viable, if the mother's health is in danger. In a late-stage abortion, the baby is delivered.
1: Mm Yeah, It's just delivered dead. They
0: inject poison into the baby, and then they deliver it, Mm -hmm. dead. First of all, if the pregnancy is not viable, that makes no sense, because then it's not a pregnancy anymore.
2: Right. It's, it's the pregnancy is. It's a miscarriage. They, they, you have to another, about
0: another it. Another euphemism that they use is that is is they call it they call it terminating the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the not viable thing is an unnecessary caveat to a law. That they know that they'll get heat for because it's barbarism. And it's an unnecessary caveat to deflect that barbarism. What does not viable mean? Well, it means dead. Then what the hell's the point of an abortion?
2: Yeah, it's not an abortion. and,
0: and, And the other. The other part that I said was largely up for interpretation is the mother's health, and you,
1: mm-hmm. you know, you did a good it, it, job from, explaining it's that. It's from a Supreme Court case, which is the companion case to Roe v. Wade, which is called Doe v. Bolton, and it basically defines that phrase "mother's health and life" as being anything that could affect the mother's life or health, including physical, psychological, emotional, familial, or the woman's age, that could want her cause her to want to
2: end a pregnancy. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of things. That's practically everything. Yeah, it says all these factors will go into or are considered in health. And it, I think what's really telling about that that um, definition is that it separates psychological and emotional mm-hmm. or mental. I can't remember if it use psychological or, or mental. But me- me- what what is the difference between mental and emotional health?
0: And another question would be how many women do not experience emotional distress when they are mm-hmm. having a baby? I would say
1: zero <laughs> <effort>. <laughs> or emotional stress when they're considering killing their child I mean that's, that's well that's certainly the an hope I hope they are dis-
0: I hope they are distressed
1: well there would the, the point is that you wouldn't go to terminate your pregnancy or have an abortion if there wasn't some underlying reason there but the argument that the pro-life movement makes is that there is no acceptable excuse to kill a child especially when it's that late stage, when we know that heartbeats can start between five to 10 weeks and that they feel pain at 20 weeks, mm-hmm. this is grotesque. This is not like something that looks sort of like a baby. This is a fully formed baby where it's with like a nervous system. Like my with... mother was born around that time mm-hmm. period. She was born in like 28 weeks and she could have been aborted at that, at that time, but she was premature.
0: Yeah. I think that, that these are all good talking points that you just brought up. And I think that they are ammunition uh, for pro-life people. But I would, I would actually go further and tell you that I don't really care about any of that. Um, I don't care when the baby can feel pain. I don't care when the baby has a heartbeat. I think that we have just no respect for, I don't think we have respect for life or death anymore. That's very true. I think, um, I think, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I use a lot is from Seneca. He said that we act like um, we act like mortals in all that we fear and we act like gods in all that we desire. Um, people often forget that one day they're going to die and I think that that's a lot of the reason why they don't. Uh, they keep putting off you know, getting right, you know, living good lives, not being hedons. That's not what we're talking about. I think that the same thing is happening with life. I don't think that, I think that, and this kind of ties back to the feminist movement, I think that the decline of the American family, which has hit minority communities, you know, almost twice as hard, but has hit everyone, you know, uh, devastatingly, um, has sort of made us think that relationships are things that we can just sort of have like jewelry to wear uh, kids are just sort of ornaments to show off to our friends, and, uh, you know, people that we can, you know, they look like us, and they, you know, maybe we'll love them, and, and, you know, there's no sense of duty to your family anymore, and there's no sense of responsibility when you are creating a life, um, and, you know, back to the minority thing, they're, I mean, they're It's been, I think, almost a decade now where there are more black babies aborted in New York than there are black babies born in New York. And if you can hear that and celebrate it, I hope you're ostracized.
1: And there's, I mean, that's... That's not by coincidence a lot of times. Like, I'm not trying to get into conspiracy theory mongering or anything of the sort, but there's a reason that abortion is very strongly tied to the eugenics movement, because a lot of it comes from the same impulse. Well, I mean,
0: anyone who knows anything about Margaret Sanger, I mean, she's a feminist icon, and she was as racist as D.W. Griffith. Mm -hmm. I mean...
2: Especially if Sorry. you look over in Europe, um, I can't remember, is it, is it Iceland that said they eradicated Down eradicated syndrome? Eradicated Down syndrome. Eradicated they, Down syndrome rep- by killing all the children the children. them. You know, that
0: the, them. the Nazis almost right. eradicated Jews. <laughs> yeah, and
1: that's, that's, that's the same sort of language that they're using, where it's like, we want to get rid of the unwanted, the undesirable, and this is... This is something that's why it's always been so grotesque to me. The arguments about it, where it's like, you would rather a child be born into a dysfunctional mm, home—that is the most
2: disturbing argument—and
1: they'll go hungry and they'll be so they'll have such a miserable life. And I always, you don't know that And I, I <laughs> how always do you know that? I yeah, uh, that the you, same... you might as
0: well just kill him. Yeah,
1: right. Was just as, as just if, fill him up with poison a,
0: and chop his head. You know,
1: they they say the potential for a life full of suffering is by definition worse than death, which is one. A decision that a painful death is not something that should be left up to you, just as an, an outside person. Mm-hmm. Nothing, and it shouldn't be left to that person to commit suicide. But like mm-hmm. we don't think that that's right as a society. So why would it be right for you to yes. decide that for them? But I always tell people who make that argument about my mother, who was born in a very, very poor family, went hungry several times. She told me the other day that they didn't have food for an entire day one summer, so their mother made them a pumpkin pie. And all she had that day was a big slice of pumpkin pie, and she sat that eating that at the pool. And that's all she had. And that was her childhood growing up, or living in horrible poverty. Like, her, and her mother was an insane person. And now she has, she had her own business for 20 years. She's had three kids that are, I would like to think, somewhat well-adjusted. You cannot predict someone's life based on the circumstances in which they're born. Look at Ben Carson, for example, born to a 13-year-old mother with a third-grade education in Detroit. And he was the first person to disconnect, connect, conjoin twins at the head. You can't, you can't predict outcomes like that. That's not how our our, our society works, or really any societies. You you don't know what's going to happen no. to an individual, and their life is not worth snuffing out.
2: I think one of the really annoying and disturbing arguments is the um, Republicans don't care about the the baby after it's born. They don't care about feeding the baby after it's born and so this is
0: another argument that pro-slavery people made they said that that the uh the uh was the abolitionist movement Mm -hmm. was purely political they didn't care about the 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 race of people that Mm -hmm. they were freeing and when um and when then and they and when Slaves were free, then they would be outcasts, they would be in abject poverty, and things like that. Well, that was only true when Southern Democrats took back command of the South after Reconstruction and made that law. Um, and even so, th- like, consider, let's grant that, that's true. Well, the alternative then, let's say in 1879, they're like, wow, this is really tough, I guess just put us back in, as Joe Biden would say, put them back in chains. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, well, well, I'm seven years old and I, you know, I'm having trouble in school and my parents are fighting and I'm poor and hungry. I might as well just, you know, off myself right now. It's a similar thing. And, you know, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted oh, no, you, but the, but this is, a, you know, this is another one of the arguments that where it's just like, even if you can't you know, rebuke that with something, you know, as, as as elegant as Sarah put it, you can still default to, okay, so let's just kill it. Mm -hmm. Let's just kill him. You know,
2: I think a lot of people just, a lot of people who are just in the middle of this debate truly do not understand what abortion entails. And like when I was, when I was a feminist, I was never like avidly pro-choice, but I was, I just kind of accepted it because I, that's what feminists are supposed to do. And Yeah. Women's liberation. But when I actually began first, my first change of mind on that issue came when my my best friend actually said, um, you don't something along the lines of you don't get to kill something just because it's an inconvenience to you. Um, And she said something like the only question is, is it a life? Because if it's not a life, because I would say, and I hear a lot of young people say things like this, a lot of, especially a lot of young, even mildly conservative girls say, I'm personally pro-life, but I wouldn't stop someone else from getting an abortion. And that's what I would say. And so my friend would have said, okay, well, why would you be personally opposed to it? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you have any sort of answer to that question, it's probably going to be because you think it's a life. Which would beg the question, why is it not illegal? If right. it's a life, if it's not a life, then it doesn't matter, and why the heck are you personally opposed to it? Because it's just a blob of cells. But if it is a life, then you need to be re- redirecting right. your, it's, it's, your... It's not a simply c- political question.
1: It's, it's about the underlying principle mm-hmm. of why that is what it is. It's not, I'm trying to control your political choices. It's not like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to say who I voted for, but... I'm fine if you do. Mm-hmm. It's a very different thing, <laughs> no. and I don't think people really understand the fundamental division there between those issues. Yeah, I think
2: there. There's this kind of libertarian argument that's like morality. You can't uh, you can't legislate morality, which they, I think they, is they, they it's, it's absurd. That. It's it's an absurd statement because every time absurd. you any political discussion is about is about morality. Yes. Any. There are different degrees, I think, of morality. Like I'm, I'm in the piece I'm writing right now on this topic. Actually, I I don't know if I'm going to include this this section of it, but there I can treat someone who disagrees with me on the progressive tax system, for example, um, with dignity and respect, because though I do think there is a moral component to that, because I do think it is theft to take take someone's money because you don't think it's equal. I, I do think there's a moral component that to that there. There is a degree of evil that is especially seen in this in this New York law that is so grotesque that I don't I don't know that I can even treat it as as a as a valid opinion. Right. I mean I think
1: the key and this is really an
2: issue that both sides have to deal
1: with in a lot of different circumstances in terms of issues that we discuss is that you have to when you're talking to someone, understand what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. because that is, And that is a problem, especially when it comes to the abortion debate, That's really prevents any progress from being made. Because when I say my opinions as a pro-life person, they are looking at it from the perspective of, that's not a life, so you just want to impugn all of this mm-hmm. suffering and all this unnecessary drama on a woman and control her body and do all these things. And if I look at their opinion from the perspective of you know this is a life and yet yes, you still want never to end it. it, you you can't you can't work with that person mm-hmm. because that person is by definition committing evil acts intentionally. But the reality is, no one from either side of this debate. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some satanists or something in the mix <laughs> there that do actually think, yeah, it's a person. I don't really care. Let's kill it just for the sake of blood. But generally speaking, both neither of these debates are being had by people who want to commit atrocities. But I think and I hope eventually abortion will be looked at that way.
2: Yeah. That and we'll
1: have to explain to our children and our grandchildren why for but so long. But that's such an
2: interesting question though because do you think the Nazis looked at what they were doing as an atrocity?
0: No. I thought that they. I think that they looked at it as a cleansing.
2: So, yeah, so how they looked at it as something good. So is that a good intention? So if someone is advocating for abortion, does, do they even get? I, I know, this is not about speaking to someone. Of course, you should speak to someone with respect. This Assuming is about the good yeah, yeah, like right. yeah, speak but but, reason, so. but I don't believe it is a good intention if if that is your if mm-hmm. that is your intention if abortion is your intention that's not a good intention. It's, it's an evil
0: one. It's hidden by it's, and it's why they always default to. It's well, it's why the ignoramuses of them always default to. Why is it any of your business? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens when you lose the argument. That's what you say, mm-hmm. and it they hide behind the veneer of euphemisms and of contradictory laws and statements. For example, when a pregnant woman is killed, it's a double homicide. When a pregnant woman just decides to kill her child it's an abortion and that you know obviously makes absolutely no sense to say that the life is only alive if you want it to be alive mm-hmm. um, that i mean that's such a huge gap in credibility with that argument and i think that and it's like i said earlier i mean we've talked about uh, we've talked about the the slavery comparisons, I do hope that one day, and it might be after the rapture, I don't know, but I do hope that one day we look back on these people, on these barbarous proponents as in the same manner that we look back on on the harshest slave masters. Mm. Um, And I think that it, it, you know, it, it. it's it's a it's the best example of all of them though of culture is upstream from politics. I mean, I would love for Roe versus Wade to be overturned, but I really don't think I think that that would be a great and good thing, but I I think that it it it, it has to start in the hearts and the souls of the nation, and that's what um that's one thing that uh I think Abraham Lincoln when he when he uh when he was talking To Stephen Douglas in one of his debates he said they were debating slavery he said he Stephen Douglas is blowing out the moral lights around us when he contends that whoever wants slaves has a right to hold them that he is penetrating so far as lies in his power the human soul and eradicating the light of reason and the love of Liberty when he is in every possible way preparing the public mind by his vast influence for making the institution of slavery perpetual and natural. I think you could take those words and replace slavery with abortion, and that's the argument that we're having. It is for the soul of this nation and nothing less. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I wish conservatives and, in, and Republicans in Congress would really act like it more so mm-hmm. than they are. If our, if our fight for defunding Planned Parenthood even as small of the victories, that would be in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. We're half as passionate as the one for the wall Then I think yep. would be good progress. But at least there's now a, a pro-life caucus in Congress for the first time. So that is, and, the, and, the that women, and the Women's
0: March is one of the, not the Women's March, the March God for forbid, life. the March for Life is mm-hmm. one of the very, is really the only right-wing uh, nationwide activism movement well, that not, is...
1: It's not even right-wing. There's a surprising amount yeah. of people there that aren't, Aren't Republican is not not partisan a lot of them are just religious. But that's that's one thing about the, the Well, I think that,
0: is I think that, that's that united. I think that a lot of people well, I'd I'd think, like the I think I think that the, the people are, 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 that most of the people at the women's march, you know, that's
2: that's the fault of a Democratic party who I think a lot of them just does not have that does not support pro-life Democrats.
0: Yeah. I think yeah, that there are a lot of people uh, at the women's march who are only there because they hate men and hate Jews. <laughs> uh, but, um, but Selling I, I would, ca- I would, I would call that a, uh, uh a left-wing, a left-wing uh, demonstration. Speaking of that,
2: it's surprising. Mm-hmm. I think there were like 500,000 people at the March for Life and there have been for many, many years. And there were 10,000 at the Women's March and it got a very tiny, the March for Life got a very tiny
0: fraction of coverage. <laughs> Well, that's a good transition out of this oh, yeah. conversation that we've been on for about 50 minutes and on to uh, some of those things that happened this week, um, which was the majority of the coverage of the March for Life was about a group of Catholic high schoolers who uh, who uh, I think they like desecrated a burial ground or, or you know,
1: yeah, all of D.C. is something. haunted now. Yeah, <laughs> it is.
0: Well, that actually turned out to not be true at all and uh, was refuted. And Nathan Phillips is now the nation's darling uh, liar and uh, stolen valor guy. And uh, for, you know, at first he said he was in Vietnam and remembered all the harrowing conflicts of fighting off the Viet Cong with his bare hands and dragging
1: well he was he's was
0: very Bubba to the landing zone and then he was like well no i actually never left the
1: he was, country he's, he's always very intentional about being right on the line there about really heavily implying that he served mm-hmm. in Vietnam and saw combat, but never actually saying that, and then being able to be actually legitimately accused of stolen He violence. said he was
0: a Vietnam veteran, which is not the same thing as yeah, I was in the Army at the same time that other people were in Vietnam. <laughs> yes, you're
1: right. But he'd say things like Vietnam time or Vietnam era veteran. Like, he would add, like, if you read some of the stuff he says and, like, watches his talks, it's, very fascinating the way he, like, sort of dances around that topic, but that is precisely what he's trying to do. Is It's stolen valor, for sure, because he's trying to make you think mm-hmm. that that's what I did. I was in Vietnam fighting, but he wasn't. He wasn't there.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then we got, you, you know what's great about, about mainstream journalists is they, you know, obviously they have to write certain stories in advance. Like, if the, you know, if the... Uh, who won the World Series last year? I don't know. I can't remember. Two years ago, it was the Dodgers and the Astros. They have to write a report if the Astros win and if the Dodgers win. Was it the
1: Yankees?
0: No, it was, was the Red Sox. The, it yeah. was the Red Sox.
1: Sorry, Yankees fans <laughs> and Red Sox fans. I'm yeah, not the but they
0: have to write fan. one or the other, and right. you know, for, it's stuff like that. They prepared this this entire uh, just line of uh, of anti-Catholic anti-white, anti-private school, anti-smirking, all these things uh, for that news cycle. And when it came out that everything was wrong, they're like, oh, crap, the content that we have for this week doesn't make sense anymore. So they have to redo the titles and say things like, the Covington story may have been misleading, but there's still a major problem with Catholic schools in the country. Mm -hmm. And there was that guy who was... uh, I want to say he was for BuzzFeed, who tweeted out, like, if you went to a Christian school and would like to talk about your negative experience, please contact me.
1: In, in fact, worse than that, it wasn't BuzzFeed, it was the New York Times. Oh, no. Oh, how, how I have as fallen. Of, <laughs> as, if
0: a, as, if a, as if it would make a difference. I mean,
1: I think this subject, honestly, has been talked to death. And I, I missed the first day of it, because I think it started on a Friday or Saturday. And by general rule, I don't go on my political Twitter on those days, because... I like to enjoy my weekends, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but since it's been so talked about, the only thing that I can ever think to say to people that jump so viciously on it, and get so worked up about, it is like, think about the last conversation that you had with a seventeen-year-old, especially a seventeen-year-old boy, and really like try to absorb how deep that was, and and then think about that person being in that situation. That's a child. That is a child. 17-year-olds yeah. are children. Age. And I say that as right now a 22-year-old who I'm sure when I'm 32 will look back and call this version of me a child. That Because that's how things work. <clears throat> and you always look back at yourself two years ago and be like, God, I was such an idiot. And you're going to think that two years from now. That's how things
0: work. I, I, won't, I think that it's an appropriate time now for everybody to admit that the absolute stupidest, most asinine, pointless, and nonsensical thing to ever come out of the MAGA hat slash alt-right slash (laughs) Kekistan, you know, internet movement is this, the okay symbol, (laughs) holding your index finger with your thumb and people saying that this is now a code meaning white power. I have friends who unironically think that, who, who really think that these people are going around and, and when they hold up the three, they're signaling white supremacy. This was, I, I mean, have you ever seen a basketball game? They have you can. ever watched Steph Curry play well. in 2014 when Todd Gurley was suspended? there were, like, all of his teammates during the three games he was suspended held up the number three because Todd Gurley was number three. (laughs) And you have these lunatic people who need to go to Gitmo. I'm not kidding about this. (laughs) Kathy Griffin and all these journalists. If you really want to be like Lincoln, heed my words, jail the journos.
1: You (laughs) are you are such a fiery... Person. And
0: I'm a firebrand.
1: Yes, you're a firebrand. That's the
0: word you're looking for. Yes,
1: I am. Uh, I, I just. I'm, I'm also a maverick. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just. And a
0: loose cannon. Okay.
1: I'm very <laughs> trepidatious for the day, and I'm, I'm really hoping it does not come when you also get Kevin Williamson, and someone pulls up this podcast and clips that part out and says he's anti-First Amendment because he wants the journalists to go to. Canada. Oh, I'm not
0: anti-First Amendment. I'm anti-blue checkmark liberal. And I and I and I and I I, I put on my sunglasses as I say the word liberal. Oh, lord! You are. And I and I'm typing the the finger thumb on the chin, thinking Charlie Kirk emoji, (laughs) just endlessly as I say that. Also.
1: Well, luckily after you get lambasted on Twitter for statements made on this very podcast 15 years down the road, if Turning Point's still around, but they'll offer you a job. That's,
0: well, that's, true. <laughs> that's I'm gonna, consolation. I'm going right? to say this for the I'll record. You'll have to
1: cut this part out. At this. the
0: 5712 mark, I do not think the journalists should go to Gitmo. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Kathy Griffin should, and I think that Tariq Nasheed should, uh, because of the the spreading of this mind-numbingly stupid trend and now people like the pro-Trump people are now actually using it and they're making they're making fun of you it's
2: like three levels of irony
0: yeah anyway
2: well jay thomas i think you should run for president one day and please don't do that
0: no i don't think i will
2: you're um that's your campaign slogan? yeah, your campaign is jail your campaign the slogan limbs. is jail the journalists.
0: It'll be a it'll be a picture of Lincoln and me side by side, and, back it'll, back ju- back. and it'll just say jail the Democrats.
2: Make America great again. It'll be by jailing the journalists.
0: Make America great again <laughs> by suspending habeas corpus, but this time, <laughs> but this time don't don't undo it. Um,
1: anyway, other than
0: that, the last couple of things. Uh, Roger Stone got arrested this morning for being a scumbag, probably or maybe he's innocent and this is all just a—it's it, it's all just a conspiracy because the FBI is weaponized now. Um, nah, he's a scumbag. He's probably gonna do some time. He's
1: got a sweet tattoo.
0: Yeah, he does. He does have a cool tattoo of Richard Nixon apparently on his on his upper spine. Uh, And the best news of this week was in Venezuela, there are uh, people taking to the streets, wanting to oust the uh, corrupt, socialist, barbaric, murderous, uh, people starving government of uh, Maduro in favor of the uh, Speaker, or the head of the National Assembly, rather. Um, my favorite thing from those videos, and I think I told you about this, was the porta potty phalanx. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen this video, I think I was the first person to notice what a brilliant tactic this was. So the Maduro government has people outside firing, you know, rounds at the protesters. They are probably rubber bullets. It's just riot uh, control. Yeah, it's right. they're riot control. The protesters have responded by taking their government issued porta potties, laying some uh, horizontal to the ground. Some of them, they're getting in and moving, but they're using them as like mobile barricades. And it brings to mind Thermopylae, like the Spartans of old, you know, resisting Persian oppression uh, with their with their fabled phalanx that the Romans would later adopt and evolve. Uh, so good on you guys, freedom fighters. I know a bunch of people at TFAS are also very excited about that. Um, I know my Uncle John is very excited about that. I hope he is. Um, I hope he doesn't call me later and tell me that that there's something bad going on there because he knows more about it than me. Um, But we've talked for now over an hour. This is probably a record for, definitely a record for Radio Free Athens, so I'll go ahead and close it out if you guys have any uh, final notes about uh, what we talked about today.
1: Thank you for having me back. It was a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming, Sarah, and thank you again, Reed. We'll try to com- continue to uh, dole out these podcasts pretty quickly, uh, at least once every two weeks. That's typically the goal, um, and I, maybe we have some ground to make up for after being pretty lazy last semester. But until next time, thank you for listening, uh, and thank you for supporting the Arch Conservative for Sarah Montgomery and Reed Ferguson. This is Jay Thomas Purdue signing off.